Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us again on the program. I'm delighted to have your company. And with me in the studio today, I have a very special guest. He is CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Australia, and his name is Tony Benjamin. Tony, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's indeed a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here, and I'm really looking forward to this program. As you know, our program is based on Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, where it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, Voice of the Martyrs, obviously, in your in the name of your organization, the word martyr is used there, where people are persecuted for many reasons. But even some people who are Christians, because of their love for the Lord, sometimes are called to lay down their lives in this process of persecution. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. I feel it's so apt and so uh, pertinent to what this program is all about, and I'm looking forward to unpacking that. But perhaps just as we start talking about it, could you tell us a little bit about Voice of the Martyrs and your role there as CEO? Yes. Voice of the Martyrs have been in Australia since um, the 60s, and it was started in Australia by the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, Richard Wormbrandt, who was an Hungarian um, pastor who was in prison during the Hungarian communist era. Mm. And Voice of the Martyrs is there to serve the persecuted church globally, and um, my role as CEO there is to um, create the awareness and to manage that help and that assistance that we give to the rest of the world, um, of which we work in about 50, 50 different countries around the world. You In 50 different countries? Yes, we do. Right. Now, I guess we'll unpack that a little bit more when you look at the scope of persecution around the world for Christians. Um, could we just stay back and just tell us a little bit about your background, where you were born and your sure. influences? Were you a Christian in a Christian household, or how did you become a Christian? Well, I, um, I grew up in a... In a Catholic home, being a nominal Christian, if I can call it that, probably Christian by name, right? Not really in action. As, okay. Well, and um, yeah, I I can clearly remember when I was about seven years old. My grandmother used to take me to church where we lived in South Africa, in Cape Town. That's where I was raised. Um, I said to my grandmother, you know, Grandma, one day I'm going to be a missionary. Oh, really? At seven years of age, and ah. my grandmother died at 97 about five years ago, and Throughout that journey of my growing up, she always reminded me of what I'd said. Mm. But God had somehow planted that seed in me, and that was always the position I gravitated to. Even in South Africa, uh, we moved to Johannesburg when we were newly married, and we worked with homeless people there. And uh, when we came over to Australia, I, uh, which was 20 years ago now, I really got stuck into the ministry and have always been um, in the fringes of ministry and mission work. Mm. Even when I had my own business uh, for nine years before joining Voice of the Martyrs, I was involved in missionary work where I lived in Vietnam. 
Wow. Okay. So, so that looking after people who are destitute and homeless and also now working with the martyrs has always been something that you can almost say has been part of your DNA. Yes, it has. And I'm, I'm privileged to be in such a um, fortunate position to be able to offer the assistance to those less fortunate. I think it's, a, you know, God has really blessed me with a servant heart. And I think that I serve the persecuted church best from the position that I sit in being able to lead and direct it. Right. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, you you were brought up uh, with a, a grandmother who was a, a believer, and she had obviously a great influence in your life. Yes. And from the age of seven, you decided that you would like to be a missionary of some sorts, and now you're a missionary, although you're sitting in Australia. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Um, I became a Christian when I um, I turned 21 through my uh, wife, who was my girlfriend then, mm. um, and I have a lot to be thankful for because of her prompting. Right. And God really developed that um, desire for me to want to do that. Mm. So yes, um, since we've been in Australia, it's been, you know, God's God has really opened the doors and given me the opportunity to to follow in the the path that I believe He's called me to, mm. and and I've been really fortunate in that. Yes. So it looks like, you know, your transition to become CEO for Voice of the Martyrs seemed to be a natural progression of what you're doing if you're really working with uh, the down and out and the less privileged people, um, you know, on this planet. Can you maybe just tell us a little bit more about how actually that happened and how long have you been in your role? Yes, I got to know of Voice of the Martyrs about 12 years ago when our local church was invited by Voice of the Martyrs to come up and visit the mission in Lawson in New South Wales. Hmm. Um, when we went there, I was really struck by the work that they do, and it really pulls at your heartstrings when you see what people have to go through just to be able to have the privilege of reading a Bible or being able to fellowship with others mm. who share the same faith. And that is when I started um, just volunteering at Voice of the Martyrs, both my wife and I, She'd go up for the volunteers day once a, once a month where they'd pack the newsletters. Mm. And I would work with the then CEO in helping them raise funds, raise awareness for the ministry. And uh, on my first trip out about nine years ago, I went out to Vietnam and went there with the underground church and really got a firsthand experience of what persecution was all about. Really? That really cemented it for me that I wanted to do more. Mm. A few years later... I went and moved and lived to Vietnam, set up my own education business there, and then was able to take the proceeds of my business and put it back into the ministry. And that is where Voice of the Martyrs does a lot of their work in Vietnam. Okay. And the then CEO used to visit me every three months, and he kept prompting me and say, you know, I need to retire, I need to retire because he's nearly 70 years old. Mm. And he was sowing the seed for me then. I obviously didn't get it, okay. but he was sowing the seed. <laughs> And we came back from Vietnam uh, January last year, and then the opportunity presented itself where they asked me to join the board of Voice of the Martyrs, and the board just felt that I would be the ideal person to take them into the next 15 years, into the next era of Voice of the Martyrs, and they then approached me to um, start the role of CEO, which I've done. Well, okay. So a fair bit of work, obviously, that goes into Vietnam. I actually didn't realize how bad things are in Vietnam. But if you look at the, the scope of Voice of the Martyrs' work, how big is persecution of Christians globally? Globally, persecution is, we have statistics that say that at least 100 million people in about 57 countries, to be specific, mm. face persecution daily. This, really? This is on an ongoing basis? This is on yeah. an ongoing basis, yes. Now, 
the scariest statistic is that since the time of Christ, mm. 70 million people roughly have been martyred for their faith, wow. of which 45 million of those happened in the last century. Is that right? Yes. So that is incredible. Christian persecution is on the increase in, a, in its most dramatic form. Because we normally think about persecution in the past. We don't yes. think about it in the present. Correct. And who would have known that the last century had, you know, 45 million martyrs? Exactly. That's a scary statistic when you think about it. And it just shows you the task that we have at hand. But also the best form of dealing with it is prayer. Mm. We need people to pray. We really need people to pray for their brothers and sisters in those countries. Okay, so if people are listening there and they're concerned about what they hear today, one of the first things they can do is to put the martyrs of Christ on their prayer list. Yes. When we go into these countries and we visit the persecuted brothers and sisters, and we obviously go at great risk. Mm. We can't travel as missionaries. We've got to travel as tourists just to be able to get into the countries. We ask those people in these countries, we ask them, what is it that we can do? The first thing they ask us to do is to pray. Mm. The second thing they ask us for is the word of God. Can we provide more Bibles? Wow. We have never in the short time that I've been doing it, but in the 15 years that my colleague was doing it, do people ask us for anything other than prayer and the word of God and more of it. Mm, that's incredible. You know, I, I do a number of different uh, programs for radio, and quite often, and as you say time and time again, it always comes back to communication. Any relationship, if there's a breakdown in communication, there's a breakdown in the relationship. And our communication with God through prayer and his communication yes. to us through his word are vital keys in regards to our, you know, our walk with God. And these people crave that, wanting to know that other people are praying for them, and secondly, that they can have access to the Word of God so they can have the daily communion with God. Sure. Backwards and forwards, basically, isn't it? Exactly. Right. So how difficult is it for some people to actually have access to the Word of God in some of these countries? I mean, is it outlawed in some places? Yes, it is. It's outlawed in many places. What we've—Voice of the Martyrs, we print 95% of our own literature. Okay. So even a Bible, we can get a Bible printed for $2. Wow. Most of the time we print it in the country where the persecution happens. So we have quite a sophisticated network of people that work in these countries. Mm. And we have to protect their identity at all costs. So we would often get uh, the Word of God printed there. We have the Word of God presented in um, a more modern form today, which is like an SD card that you use in your phone. Okay. We have it uh, done as a comic book so that the authorities just on the cover, it looks like a comic book. Right. So they won't get bothered if they walk around with a Bible. We get uh, it done on MP3. We have so many various forms that we can do it. Just to give you a, a simple example of an SD card, we were quite astounded when some North Korean defectors shared with us how they get to carry their Bible around. Mm. They actually take the SD card and they put it in their nose. The authorities don't check there. Wow. So if they get searched, their phone gets looked at or anything like that, they will not find the Word of God there. So we have a whole Bible. We have a concordance in there, um, fitted into the SD card. We've got hymnals we put in there. Whatever information they require, we produce in that form for them, which is the easiest form for them to actually have the Bible with them all the time. 
That's incredible. It reminds me, you know, if you look through the Dark Ages and there was persecution there, you had the Waldensians who used to sew passages of the Bible into their coats and into their tunics yes. and that, and that's how they had to hide it. But now I see we've got little SD guards even going up the nose to hide it away from the from the authorities. That is incredible. We have another case in Vietnam where the the family of the pastors who were imprisoned mm. was smuggling them Bible verses in the bread rolls that they were sending to them for their husbands that have the Bible verses rolled up and shoved into the bread rolls so they could get access to the Word of God while in prison. That is incredible. So this is not something that's just a relic of the past that you can put back into the dark ages or that. This is happening here and now. That yes. is incredible. Yes, it is. Persecution is very, very prominent, very, very prominent. Mm. So, I mean, we spoke about the Word of God being outlawed in some countries, but typically what are people being persecuted for around the world? People are being persecuted just for being believers. And within the system that they operate in, it's very difficult to function as a Christian without being noticed mm. because the communities are so tight, the communities are small. So any activity outside their normal activity is picked up on pretty quickly and reported. Right. So people have to be absolutely careful and diligent. For example, we were in Egypt recently in December, Mm. We're sitting at the table. We're about to have a meal. And my colleague who's based there says to me, Tony, just remember, you can't close your eyes when you pray. We have to do it as though we're having a conversation so people don't notice because the authorities will catch up. You know, we'll find out about it. Wow. That's in, in Egypt. Egypt today. Wow. That's in Egypt today. The same in China. We were in China last month. It's the same thing in China. You're sitting in a restaurant. You're sitting at the table. You're sitting in a coffee shop. You cannot pray openly, close your eyes, bow your head. We have to sit with our eyes open and chat to each other and commit the meal to prayer. Yes. So these are modern-day examples. Um, some of the other examples are people being caught with the Word of God, people being um, found out or dobbed in as believers mm. and get thrown in prison, persecuted. In the case of pastors in some of the countries, their kids get ostracized at school, and the authorities now— have found more clever ways of dealing with pastors that have got churches that are committed to the Word of God and getting the message out there. Mm. They stop the kids from going to school so the kids don't get any education. Right. And that's how they're putting pressure more and more on people. Mm, so they're using all kinds of social means to, to apply pressure. Exactly. Yeah, and it's a, it's a psychological war in many respects yes. as well. It's the threat quite often of what's exactly. going to happen. But then there's also, of course, the physical danger. Yep. The physical dangers go right down to being beaten and um, put in solitary confinement, long-term imprisonment, or killed. And mm. I mean, that's, that's happening all the time. And we find that uh, being killed is probably the most prominent in the Muslim world at the moment is that right? for Christians. It's the most violent. Uh, the most intense is probably in the communist world, okay. where there's a constant pressure mm. on Christians and a constant barrage of, of, of laws and rules to prevent people from uh, practicing the Word of God. But in the Muslim world, it's, it's extremely violent. It's very uncoordinated, but it's, it's very, very real. Mm. So if you look at the countries around the world, which are the worst affected uh, for, for Christians being persecuted? I would like to say that the Muslim world is probably the most um, active. The Muslim okay. world is probably the most active. The communist world in terms of places like North um, China, Vietnam, Laos, 
these sorts of countries in um they seem to focus their persecution on people within their, those countries. Mm. The Muslim world is just wherever they can get an opportunity. Right. It's very, uh, it's very un. So it's not limited within the borders of a particular. No, country. it's not. Yeah. And that is where the danger is. People say, you know, I was listening to a news report yesterday. We were saying where they were saying they don't have that many ISIS fighters in Libya and Syria anymore. Mm. But if you watch what's happening, these guys are now in Africa. They're wow. causing problems in Africa. Mm. So Boko Haram, which Nigeria thought was on the decline, it was just another report last week. They kidnapped another 100 girls again in northern oh, Nigeria. Right. So we're dealing with this situation that's a constantly evolving one. Mm. And I believe that the church needs to be aware of their role that they play in counteracting or dealing with this or being aware of it more than anything else. Wow. So, I mean, when we talk about persecution, uh, what is meant by it? I don't know if we can maybe just unpack the definition. And then also, what are the range of behaviors that would be exhibited against Christians that would, say, qualify as being persecution? Persecution takes many forms. I mean, young people flee for their lives when their families discover they've converted to Christianity. Mm. And this is a very prominent thing at the moment with Muslim background believers the minute the family finds out, these guys' lives are under constant threat. Um, we have believers that are beaten, tortured, pursued, falsely accused, threatened, starved, maimed, harassed, their homes and churches burnt down, Bibles and Christian material confiscated or limited, and their businesses destroyed. Mm. Now, we're seeing a lot of that actively happening in India at the moment where there's, a, there's a, a part of the ruling party in India, the more right-wing part of it, saying they want India for Hindus. So Christians, we're rebuilding nine churches at the moment, which mm. we're funding to rebuild because they were destroyed by the Hindus. And the Christians are having a, a torrid time there at the moment. Not even We were doing deep water wells, which we were, uh, we were boring, mm. and Christians aren't allowed to actually use the water from the wells any longer. So we had really? to find other means. So children are walking for four and five kilometers a day just to get drinking water for themselves. So these are the type of challenges. So people are being constantly prevented from living a, which we would call a normal life, which mm. we have the privilege to lead yes. in these countries. And that is the level of persecution that they're facing. Also, there's the psychological persecution, the threat of harm and so on. And, um, like I said, it takes many forms. There's the physical, Muslim background believers banished uh, for accepting Christ, and in many cases, resources withheld from them, in mm. which allows them to practice their faith. And in those countries where someone is a Christian, I think they even have a like a tax you got to pay to the Muslims if you want to exist as a Christian. But then you get treated as a servant and a slave. You don't really have any freedoms, but they force you financially also now to contribute towards them. And their lifestyle. I forgot the name of it now, but yep. it's, it's incredible. Now, a, a story just came to me in the last few weeks. I won't even say exactly where or how I came became aware of it. But there was a, a person who was brought up in Islam. His family are Muslims, and he was a Muslim as well. Had a dream about Jesus, and he can't keep on forgetting this dream. And he started now worshiping Christ as his Lord and Savior. He doesn't even want his family to know because he is fearful what will happen to him. He lives in Australia. 
So even that fear element which you've just spoken about is prominent even amongst people in Australia here who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That just blew my mind that he actually wanted to go underground and didn't want anybody to know. It's a secret. He's, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's trusted one person and he's told that one person who ended up telling me. But I'm just blown away that we can even have those elements in a free country like Australia. We just we just been to Egypt, and that is a, a common occurrence in Egypt. But I just want to take one step back to what you said earlier, hmm. where you know he felt that you know there was something different, and you know he started reading and so on. We found that most of the Muslim background believers, how they come to Christ, is that they have an encounter with Christ themselves. Mm. They haven't been spoken to by anybody else. None of that. I met about six Muslim background believers in December, mm. and all of them shared a story where Christ dealt with them on their own. And I, Incredible. Because Voice of the Martyrs is non-denominational, we yes. also work with a Coptic church in Egypt okay. who take in a lot of these Muslim background believers mm. and one part particularly of Cairo. And I shared with the Abuna there, and uh, which is the priest. Yes. That's what he's called, Abuna. And I shared with him, and I shared with him a story. And you know what he said to me? He says, you know, Tony, why Christ appears, why Christ deals with him himself is because we as Christians are not doing our job. Really? And that really struck home to me that mm. are we really doing enough? Could we be doing more to help or to get the message out there? Mm. This is, of course, the Great Commission we're talking about, which is one of the the cornerstones of what we read in the Word. <laughs> Go out and tell the world. Yeah, that's are true. we really doing that, or are we happy to be in our comfort zone in uh, places like Australia? Well, you know, I, I've looked at some of Jesus' um, prophecies regarding the end time, Matthew 24. And then Matthew 25, he starts telling some parables to demonstrate and explain that. And the one that's always stuck in my mind is the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Mm. Now, it says there that at midnight there's a cry that goes out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go we out to meet him. But it's not just the foolish that were sleeping. It was the wise that were sleeping as well. Well, at least the wise, when the crisis came, they had enough oil in their vessel, which I believe refers to the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't only the foolish sleeping. The wise were asleep as well. And I think we probably, as far as Jesus' parable is concerned, just before Christ comes, the church finds himself in a lethargy, like a sleep state, where they're actually not awake to what's really going on around them. And I pray that God will help and bless Voice of the Martyrs just to help break, I guess, that spell on the people so they can become more aware of it. And the fact that Jesus is bypassing the church and dealing directly with people is an indication of that. No question. Yes, it is. Sure it is. Yeah. We have, a, we have um, one of our people that follow what we do shared with a colleague of mine last week, and he called it the persecution of complacency, mm. which we're guilty of in the Western world. Just say that again. The persecution of complacency. Wow. Okay, that's quite profound. And I had to think about that, and I thought, wow, that's actually very true. Mm. You know, it's like the frog in the water. You know, if you put it in sure. cold water and turn it up, it doesn't know it's going to get, uh, you know, boiled. boiled. Yeah. And and I believe that is what many of the churches or Christians, let me say, in the West, where we do not face these things necessarily all the time. Mm. But when we meet believers out there, these people will not give up their faith, would not compromise their faith for anything. 
that is a lesson for us when we go into the field and we meet these people. We come back encouraged. We come back revitalized, yes. knowing that that is what we need to be aspiring to. Mm. These people are an example to us. And we were in China last month, and the Chinese have just launched on the 1st of February a dramatic, draconian new set of laws against Christians. Really? In terms of trying to govern the churches the way the Chinese can only do. And that has cascaded across the communist world now. It's happening in Vietnam, happening in Laos, and so on. But the pastors that we met, and many of them have churches, congregations, mm. in excess of a million people. This is the level that we're functioning with people in China. Wow. These guys says, you know what? We faced persecution before, and we were okay. We just do it again. Mm. And if the Chinese government think they're going to come down on the church and force the church to pay taxes and register and these types of laws that they've come out with, mm. we will just break the church up again and they will never know. So just That the is the resolve that's out there that is incredible. from key leaders. We came away encouraged. They were obviously edgy. They were nervous about how it was going to be applied. Mm. But the church is very, very strong there. Very strong. Wow, that's incredible. So when you meet these people who are persecuted and who are concerned about those things, is it a different level of Christianity to which we have in the West where it's easy to become a Christian and your life is not threatened and you can come and go as you please, you can go for the experience and then leave after the worship service and be yourself? And They do have a different level of faith, yes. Mm. The commitment is unwavering. Mm. And, and the commitment that they're making in the beginning is recognized for what it is, which is a real, true lifestyle change. It's not just a, a wavering commitment like many people even do marriage these days right. in our normal okay. secular world, you know. Mm -hmm. These guys take it seriously, and they hunger for the Word of God. They're always mm. asking for resources. They apply what they do. They're diligent in what they do. And I'll give you an example Great. of a Bible school which we have in Mindanao in the Philippines. Now, Mindanao is a notorious ISIS stronghold. Mm. We have a Bible school in there with 40 students, mainly teenagers. Yeah. And this is the commitment that they make for three years to receive a bachelor's degree in theology. They're teenagers. They give up television, social media, telephones, dating, no internet, nothing. And they commit themselves to the Bible college for three years. Mm. So they shut every other distraction out to study the Word of God, and that is the commitment. We have a 19-year-old that's just about to finish starting a church. She got there when she was 16. Incredible. That is the level of commitment that we're finding, and it's not limited to the Philippines. We have a Muslim background believer who teaches the imam about Islam. Mm. Okay? Yes. He became a Christian many years ago. He's got a master's and a bachelor's in theology, in the Word of God. Teaches at the Muslim University. Visits Canberra. Speaks in the mosques. Speaks to them about Isa al-Masi, Jesus Christ. Mm. Should this guy ever be found out, you know, his life yeah, will end. Incredible. That is, that, is the, that is the extent people will go to. And just another example that... One of the guys we met in Egypt became a Christian Muslim background believer, 20 years old, sitting in front of me, 
as calm as ever. And I said to him, but you're so calm. Do you know? We found out from him that his, uh, his cousins who are in the uh, Egyptian secret police were looking for him because mm. they want to kill him because he's, you know, he was Muslim and has become a Christian. Yes. And we said to him, do you understand the serious nature of this? Mm. He said, yes, I do. But he said, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well die for Jesus. Wow. 20 Look, years old. That it, I can see why you'd be inspired by what these people are, sh- are sharing with you. Dear listener, we're just going to take a break here. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. And in the studio, my special guest is Tony Benjamin, who is the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back after the short message. purchase this and other CDs, visit our online store at 3abnaustralia.org.au. This is a sample from Henry Higgins playing I Will Follow Thee from his CD Near to the Heart. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. And my special guest in the studio is Voice of the Martyrs CEO, Tony Benjamin. And Tony, just before the break, you were telling us about the importance of the Word of God and how in lots of countries they're asking, first of all, for prayer, and secondly, for the Word of God. And you're saying that these people are prepared to risk life and limb, so to speak, for their faith in Jesus Christ and for access to the Word of God. And that text came to mind, the importance of the Word of God in our relationship with the Lord and even in conversion. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, Peter says that having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And then he says what that incorruptible seed is. It is through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So these people have obviously had an experience with the Lord. And in those places where the church is struggling to have access to the people or perhaps for whatever reason not sharing the gospel, we see now God through dreams and a variety of means finding access to these people and people in the Islam, the Muslim world are being conver- converted. Yes. We're finding more people in the Muslim world are coming to Christ now. We work in places like Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey. We're finding and uh, we also support a, a television network called Alayat, who speaks mainly to the Islamic world. Okay. And uh, we're finding, and their statistics are crazy at the moment with the amount of Muslims inquiring about the Word of God. Mm. And many of the Muslims that that have come to Christ have to do this in secret. They make the call to the radio station or they have contacts or people that they know in their Christian world, in their world they live in, Mm. where they can get access to the Word of God. And that, just one lot of the Word of God, not like many of us do where we think we have to have a barrage of Christian teaching to get somebody to recognize that Jesus is the way. Yes. No, these guys get one little book, they get a text, they get a word, and they are, and they become saved. And they, from right? there on, their life is committed to God's word. 
And it's absolutely encouraging to know that the body of Christ is so healthy, mm. very healthy. Maybe not in the West, but everywhere else, it's very healthy. And people say, don't let the persecution stop because the church is growing through that persecution. It's growing. Right. And it's growing at an alarming rate. China in the year 2030, they say, will be the country with the most Christians at 240 million Christians. That is absolutely active Christians. That active Christians. That is absolutely incredible. You know, we have free access to the Word of God, and how many people actually treasure that and spend time with the Word? And these people are desiring and keen for the Word, and sometimes there's only a snippet of the Word exactly. that, that changes their lives. We have uh, some pastors that we met in uh, one of those persecuted countries that has his group of pastors that go out into the field, mm. have to learn at least a hundred scriptures with the meaning and know it off by heart. Because if they lose access to that Bible, they still need to go and share the word out there. Wow. Now that's commitment. That is commitment. <laughs> the importance of memorizing scripture as well. Yeah, that, that, that's wonderful. So uh, these are in countries. So, for example, we know that there are theocracies, like an Islam, this church state. So the religious observances are enforced by political laws, state laws. Now, in those countries where that's not the case, where we have religious freedom protected by our constitutions, so I'm talking about, you know, in Australia, you know, we have uh, laws there to protect our, our freedoms, just like they have in the U.S. with their um, the First Amendment, for example. Do we have to be concerned here, or can we say, look, uh, those laws will protect us, we've got nothing to worry about? I think we have to be concerned, yes. And I hmm. think what's happening is that people that are running the country don't always share our value system right. and are influenced by others who make a greater noise than the church has been doing. Mm. And the church is suffering from a dose of complacency right? because we're not challenging those things. When you look at it, it was a scary statistic for me that the no vote during this recent gay marriage debate mm. actually didn't win. Mm. You know, I would have thought we would have had a bigger voice than that. Yes. And that is a sign of the times for us. And it's not a good sign, I might add. Mm. And when we look at the law, there's the way the law is applied. So when you get these undertones that are happening here, where the law says you can do one thing, but the undertones that actually exist in the community are different. And people before, when I moved to Australia 20 years ago, one of the first things I learned about Australia was, contrary to where we came from, was your first default position is to obey the rules, mm. obey the law. Yes. Okay? Australia has changed over the years. People are finding better ways to circumvent the rules and the law now. Mm. And that is what's threatening the very value system that we've held dear for so many years, and that applies to the West. And the same is in Europe. When I speak to my colleagues of VOM in Europe, they are in, they are in a bad space because their base, their donor base is diminishing because people are walking away from the church. Mm. So what's brought that about would be a, a, secularization a for yeah. another time. Yeah. But this part of it, I believe, is the fact that the non-Christians have allowed a voice, and it's impacting on the value system, and it's eroding the value system that we have. The other, I would think, also is this 
progressive Christianity that many of the churches have adopted where the gospel is just a watered down version mm. of what it actually what what actually should be spoken. Yes. People do not seem to want to hear the truth anymore. Mm. They have the seeker sensitive approach to to church and to our faith. Right. Which is a, a major no no as far as I'm concerned. We certainly don't see that in the persecuted countries we go to. So in the persecuted countries where you see where they are faithful to the gospel, the church is growing. Yes. And in, in the West, in many countries, the church is actually in decline, the Christian church. Correct. Like and you're saying, people are walking away from it. That was a statistic that came from the census about Australia also, is that Christianity, quote unquote, was on the decline. Mm. That's incredible. You know, we told in, uh, I think it's Hebrews chapter 4, and in uh, verse 12, that the word of God is living and powerful. But if you water it down, aren't you watering down the power of the word as well? And no wonder people are walking away because they are given something that actually lacks some of its power. It has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof, I think Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So what can we do in this part of the world? I mean, a voice of the martyrs obviously is making people aware of what's happening right around the world. But as you look at our society, our free society... Are there warning signs for us here? I believe there are warning signs. And I go back to what I said earlier, where our value systems are being eroded. And I think the church needs to be aware of what they can do. The default position for the church in Australia is to pray. Mm. That is the most powerful weapon we have is pray. Yes. On your knees praying. And I think if the church came together collectively, you know what the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in yes, my name. Yes, yes. The church would have a bigger voice. We saw this in South Africa many years ago mm. where the country was in turmoil. The churches got together in huge stadiums and people prayed. And the effects of that prayer was felt for years after. So right. That is what Christians are doing in persecuted countries. They are praying. They are on their knees praying. We have Muslim background believers which in Islam used to pray five times a day. They've become Christians and they're praying five times a day. They've continued Every, that. They've continued that. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. That's a, that's a great thing to do. I mean, even the prophet Daniel, we know that he prayed at least three times a day. There you go. Yeah, so prayer is important. And prayer look, look the at the work prayer. that God did through him. I mean, he was not only prime minister of Babylon, but when the next country came over and took them over, they thought he was good enough to be a, a prominent uh, feature in, in their government as well, and that's unheard of. <laughs> exactly. Normally you get rid of all your, your previous government agents, and then you, you establish your new ones. So prayer is very powerful, and God can work through people who are people of prayer. Very important. So a, as we look at our society at the moment, Australia has obviously with, written within this constitution at a federal government level, Article 116, which protects our religious freedom. So you were mentioning something very interesting. I caught those words, and I maybe we just wonder if we can unpack it a little bit. You're saying the way the law is interpreted and also enforced. So although it's in the Constitution, does that necessarily guarantee that if something, say, for example, I didn't support same-sex marriage or I didn't want to employ someone who was uh, transsexual or was homosexual in my school, which is a Christian school, would the law not automatically then protect me? The way the law is now, before the vote, there were politicians that were trying to get the laws put in place to protect Christians right. that did not agree with the law in their daily lives and in the mm. way they applied their Christian walk 
within society. Yeah, the Tony Abbott was one of those. Yeah. Yes, that has not happened yet. That mm. has been constantly pushed aside. So the law at the moment is not on our side yet in that respect. Okay. They haven't finalized what that actually looks like. So we're still sort of out at sea with that at the moment here in Australia. And when you look at what's happened in the past, people have been allowed to get away with things and skirt and circumvent the law because of being able to challenge it. Mm. And many of those challenges, they have actually gotten away with. So I don't know at this stage if the law completely covers us as Christians. Yes. Because there's this multiculturalism that's coming to our society and we can't offend people and Christmas is not being spoken about anymore. It's, high, it's happy holidays. Yes. The, that's all part of the erosion of our value system yeah, that we have as Christian people. Yeah, yeah, true. And I think these are the dangerous signs. And where does the law protect you from that? Mm. You know, but nobody says anything about it. So it's all okay. And because we're not challenging it as Christians, we're not challenging the law. We're not holding people to account. When the law's there, we're not doing it. What about when the law's not there? Then, then we've got no say. Mm, that's, that's true. You know, and I've been observing what's happened in the U.S. since the uh, federal court there uh, legalized gay marriage, how Christians have had their businesses shut down and have been persecuted because they refused to bake a cake, for example, for same-sex marriage. And uh, they have the First Amendment there in their constitution that guarantees religious freedom. However, when constitutional law and a law that protects people from discrimination clash, so in other words, you can't discriminate against uh, people because of sexual orientation, it seems like the law on discrimination wins and the constitutional laws laid by the side. People have been fined $135,000. They have been forced to now um, put their employees on courses to tell them what really uh, the law is saying to them in regards to, you know, uh, protecting people from what they call harassment. Not that they were harassed. They just said, look, there's probably someone else that can bake the cake for you. You can go and see them. So we've had that challenge in the West, and we possibly could face the same thing here if we're not protected in Australia with, uh, with our law being adapted to make sure that our, our freedoms are guaranteed. When you look at the public service sector, for example, Years gone by, people when when people needed help, they used to go to the church. Okay, so because of the church's failures, mm. the government has taken it over now. So what the so the church has lost that also because they right. haven't administered it correctly. They mm. haven't done it correctly. The government's not doing a better job, I might add, with it. Right. Not to be critical of them, but when you look at some of the challenges that they have out there, the organisations that that are still there that do take care of people's needs like that you get in many of the church organizations, they're just diminishing because there's so many people coming. So you find that the church has lost a lot of its relevance hmm. over the years and it seems to be becoming less relevant in our day-to-day -day society. Hmm. And that is that, a very sad thing as Christians that, that to is see that the church is losing its relevance in many cases. Yeah, no, that is true. So in countries in the Western, I mean, are there things that we could consider early warning signs in regards to persecution of Christians because of their religious beliefs and their views? Look, I believe, you know, we need to be able to stand up for what 
we believe is scriptural and what's biblical. Mm. We need to stand firm on those things. We can't compromise those values. You know, what's what's spoken as God's word will yes. forever be true and Amen. relevant. Amen. That is that is always our default position. Mm. We're not saying we need to intimidate somebody else by doing it. Yes. But those set of guidelines that we have there are relevant for us to function and be effective as Christians. Mm. So for us to think we can compromise those things because somebody else who doesn't share those values thinks it's okay for it to be eroded from us, I think is a dangerous position. We need to be firmer on that. We need to stand up. You you only need to look at how many churches, ministers, denominations, pastors spoke up during this gay marriage debate. Mm. And you'll know that the church in Australia is in a dangerous place. That is so true. So as we look at these, I guess what we call early warning signs, do we have reason to be concerned as, as Christians in Australia? I think we do have, yes. Mm. When, when you look at Muslim background believers having to meet in secret in a place like Liverpool in Sydney for, for fear of reprisal within their community, what does that tell you? That is a scary space to be in. And I'm sure they're not the only ones. Yeah. Incredible. So we, we we see these early warning signs. What can we do? How can we respond to, to it? You've touched on it a little bit, but I wonder if you can maybe just summarize it for us. Look, I think we need to get behind the people that share, that are in politics, that share the values and the views that we have, and get behind these people, I say, because they're the people that can veto these things that we don't agree with, but also get the message out there of what we do believe. Mm. And I believe the the church needs to not remain silent in this. Yes, I know there was recently there was an opportunity for people actually to submit uh, to a uh, government review panel, which is uh, going to report back to the prime minister. I think it closed uh, towards the end of February where you could submit documents regarding religious freedom, especially in regards to the same-sex marriage bill that was just passed very recently. So that's still being reviewed at the moment. And uh, when this program goes to air, we'll know, of course, that um, there'll still be another month or two before we find the outcome of that. But I understand there were 16,000 documents that were uh, entered in during that, uh, during that process. And not all of those documents, of course, would have been from Christians to protect religious freedom because there would have been documents from other people as well as saying that we don't have the right to believe what we believe and we need to be shut down in regards to our views. Okay, so uh, as we look at that, one of the things you mentioned before is that we need to pray and how important prayer is. And it reminds me of that text you know, where it says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. So God is waiting for us to humble ourselves before him, to seek him and to pray. And that's the most important message you can perhaps give God's people out there at the moment, to pray and to ask God to help them. Because if we wake up and we wake up a little bit too late, we could find ourselves in a very difficult situation here in Australia where our freedoms that we have taken for granted for such a long time uh, have just dropped away all of a sudden. That's very true. And I think the persecuted church is the the highlight of that, in that in spite of what the, the situation is around them and the dangers that exist around these people, 
they understand the value of prayer and the commitment that they've made. Mm. And if we can do that, God will see his will be done in our lives. But we need to open the door. We need to be available for him to do that. Amen. Yes, so God, God in, a, in a sense, could be waiting on his people as well exactly. to, to wake up from that sleep, even the wise virgins, as we just spoke about before. So if people are finding themselves in a place where they are being persecuted, what can they do? What should, what should they do? Look, I think if you're talking, if you're referring to people in Australia, hmm. I think people, people need to be, firstly, I would say if the law is there to prevent the persecution, which it is in Australia, they need to speak up. Hmm. We can't allow it to go by and not deal with it. I think that would be silly. Right. Okay. And it would be detrimental to them, hmm. you know, to their well-being. And I think if you're connected to a church or to a religious organization or a church organization, speak up, say something, take it to your to your minister, yes. speak to them about it, ask them what they're doing about it, find out what their views are. You don't want to end up realizing that the organization you belong to's views are very different to what you think is right or what's scriptural, mm. which has happened in many occasions. Sure. So I, I would say take it there first. You know, don't be cavalier, but also committed to prayer. Ask God and pray for discernment because mm. that's important too. You know, we are dealing with principalities and powers. This is not a flesh and blood uh, fight that we have. It's a very important point to bring out. That's right. Yep. So it's really the adversary, the devil, yes. who's behind all of this. And something very important too that our founder, Richard Wormbrad, stressed during his years of imprisonment and solitary confinement. Pray for those two that persecute you. Pray for them to come to Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, the, the the Mount of Beatitudes, you know, where Jesus spoke uh, that, that beautiful sermon. He says to pray for those who, who spitefully use you and persecute Correct. you. Yeah, so that's that humble attitude, that love that Jesus had. We even pray for those people who are nailing him to the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. For their and that's not natural to the human heart, is it? We, we need to be born again. We need to have that conversion experience to have that forgiveness and that love even for those who do spitefully use us and persecute us. Just an example I had recently of that, and I'll just share a story quickly for you. Right. We, we met a, a young man in Mindanao in the Philippines who was, him and his family were victims of the bombing late last year in the Philippines hmm. where the Islamic extremists, planted a bomb in a marketplace. Him, his wife, and his son were in the marketplace. His wife was going to have a neck massage. Uh, it was him and his wife and his 10-year-old son. His son was in the worship team. He plays the drums, 10-year-old young boy. And while they were waiting for the wife to finish her neck massage, this bomb went off in the marketplace. And a piece of plastic from a chair pierced his son's heart and lung and mm. killed him. On the spot. Wow. His wife was lightly injured. Mm. They got the son to the hospital, took the wife to the hospital. The son was declared dead on arrival. Mm. Then he went to find his wife in the hospital. He found his wife, and when he shared what happened, his wife suffered cardiac arrest and also died mm. on the shock. And we'll call him Dennis because we can't really reveal his name sure. for security reasons. Dennis said, he, you know, I didn't know what I had to do. At one stage, I wanted to kill myself, but God spoke with me and shared with me that he had a plan for my life. Mm. And for me, doing the interview with Dennis, it was a question of, what do I actually say now? 
Where do I go from here with this interview? Yes. But then I said, I pursued the perpetrators. They were arrested. They were in jail. And I asked the authorities if I could speak with them because they need to hear the message of Jesus. Mm. Now, that is forgiveness. Wow, that is incredible. And that is something that God can pour out in our hearts. You know, that love that God has for us, we told in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can open our hearts to the Lord and he can transform and change us and give us that love. Sure. Now, if people want to get a little bit more involved, you know, they want to know a little bit more about the work of Voice of the Martyrs, or as you're saying, if you've been encouraging us now through this whole interview to pray, can they access areas where they can see where people are putting special prayer requests and ask for prayer you know, because they've been persecuted around the world. Yes, the website we have, which is uh, vom.com.au. Okay. They can go to our website. They can find areas where they can donate. They can find areas where they can um, reach us through info at vom.com.au. There's also social media, Voice of the Martyr social media, okay. which we have where we keep people updated. We have prayer prayer uh, points there we have prayer lists there we have specific areas we pray for and it also shares with you how people can get involved with what we do okay fantastic so that is then www.vom.com.au that is correct okay dear listener we're just going to go away now and share our contact details with you so if you've uh, omitted to write those down get in touch with us and we can give that uh, those contact details with you so stay tuned and we'll be right back after this Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio has been Tony Benjamin, who is the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs. Now, Tony, if people want to get more involved or they want to support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, how do they go about doing that? Yes, people can donate to Voice of the Martyrs. We are a charity, okay. so we function off people's generosity mm. um, in the form of donations. And um, people can also get more information on our website of how they can pray, what they can do. They can receive a monthly newsletter by request. They can okay. request that off the website. We have areas that they can give into specifically if they request that. We do honor that. Okay. And all of the giving, if they want all of it to go to a specific area, we honor that also. Mm. So rest assured, we, we pump as much of what we're given into the the mission field internationally as what we can. No money goes to any other organization outside of Australia. It's all managed from from Australia for Australia and goes out to the rest of the world. Okay, wonderful. Well, my wife and myself and my family were recently at one of your functions and we listened to Peter Jasek share his testimony of his persecution and how he was thrown in prison in the Sudan. And one of the projects he had running there at the time was this uh, machine that can actually filter water, not only 
filthy water, but even salt water out of the ocean and can give people pure drinking water. And people were able then to, to support this for those people who are persecuted so you can provide drinking water for them. It's much cheaper than drilling a well. These units are, what, $500? Yes. And for every $500 you got in, you would actually match it, match it as well. So that will actually produce two one of these drinking water units. So there's many projects they can get involved with, and this information is on your website, which is vom.com.au. So, dear listener, we thank you for joining us today. I want to thank Tony Benjamin, CEO for Voice of the Martyrs, for joining me today and sharing the work that they do around the world and also some of those stories and the concerns that he has regarding our complacency in the West and what we can do to get more involved and become more aware of the persecution of God's people around the world. And until next time, we pray that God will bless you, that you will spend time in his word, that you will spend time in prayer, and that you would remember those martyrs around the world and the work of Voice of the Martyrs in your prayers as you spend time with God. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.